0: You can open your Bibles, your iPads, your phones, your whatever, or up there on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 10, reading from verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And, he, and Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Imagine if that question hadn't been there, we'd have just stopped off those few verses. There we are. But who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This parable doesn't begin the kingdom of heaven is like, but it's rooted in the whole understanding of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the, 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 the great commandment, love the Lord, love your neighbor, is rooted in the understanding of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has announced and Jesus has brought to bear into the earth and in the place where we can live. This parable, however, is quite a misunderstood parable, even though it's a very famous parable. Most people who don't even go to church have heard of the Good Samaritan. Um, We use it as a way to describe someone who we think is good, who helps others. What a Good Samaritan they are. It's actually not strictly to the text, but we use it in that way. You know, I had my hip surgery at Good Samaritan Hospital, except they made me pay. You know, there's Samaritan's Purse, which is that uh, organization that does things for the poor and the disenfranchised Billy Graham's son. Franklin Graham runs it. Samaritan's Purse. This word, Good Samaritan, Samaritan, has come to mean something in culture, even outside of church. And we have to be really careful that we don't get caught up in the misunderstanding. We get focused in what God actually wants to tell us. Actually, Good Samaritan is not a biblical word doesn't exist in the text. It's a heading that someone added when they were breaking the Bible up, easy for us to understand. They said, the good Samaritan. doesn't say that in the text, but we're glad it, that it does because he was a good man. He did something beautiful. But it's important as we have made the good Samaritan to be this, you know, this really good, this amazing. This In Israel, in the t- this time, 2,000 years ago, Samaritans were a despised people. The Israelites hated, the Jews hated them. They were like a sect, they were doing weird things. I mean, they were so bad that Jews didn't even travel into Samaria, they went around, even though it was longer. And if you understand that, it makes John chapter four, you know, where Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman at the well, it makes that story so astounding. Not only did he go through Samaria, meet with a Samaritan, a despised person, but he met with a woman who shouldn't have been meeting with in the first place alone. I mean, it's just mind boggling, that text. Today, it's like, so what? He was only sat down. Two thousand years ago, that was that was astounding, and we we need to remember that. So when Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan, this is not this guy went and did he didn't do it. This guy went, and then this other guy came. He, whoever he was, you know, he was German, and he helped. This was a Samaritan. This was picking on a group that Jews hated. So when he's addressing the lawyer who is a Jew, the The lawyer's getting the point here. He's actually going to be deeply, deeply offended by Jesus because Jesus is calling him out. And it's important to remember that in the context of this story. So I want to, it's one of the interesting things to look at in the story, which we haven't done, and I haven't done on any of the others, is just actually look at the structure. Because here's the structure. Question, Jesus questioned. Jesus questions back. Person gives answer, Jesus gives instruction. Person asks another question, Jesus asks another question through a story, person gives an answer, Jesus gives an instruction. It's important to see that. That often Jesus just does not answer the way that we want him to answer. He, uh, he answers by another question, putting it back into this man's own Place into his heart, getting him to dig in and come up with an answer so that he kind of hangs himself. Isn't that right? If he hadn't asked the second question, such a good story. He got it right. But then he had to go and ask, he had to go and ask the second question. Who is my neighbor? Actually, this is a beautiful way to actually present the gospel or how to teach or how to, you know, how to do apologetics with people. It's a wonderful way is to do it via questions and stories. Eventually, people come to an understanding, and then you can work with it, rather than the declaration. I think that's one of the changes that we are seeing, that we've stood in our pulpits and we've made declaration. Boom! There's no room for dialogue. There's no room for people to say, what? Questions, answers. I think it's an important important way. So a few things that highlights from from the text, and then I've got some thoughts on the broader understanding of this text. In this text, this guy, this lawyer, I think asks one of the, the most fundamental questions that a human being can ask, and that's, how can I live forever? What can I do to gain eternal life? What can I do to live forever? In our world, there are people, they're trying to figure out how you can live forever. Cryogenics and all that sort of stuff, and... They'll freeze you, and and they're trying to this medicine and this DNA and whatever, because people want to live longer. There's this fear of death, and so we're trying to find a way to live forever. So he comes. He says, "How, How can I get eternal life? Now, 2,000 years ago, he would have been asking the eternal life with God. He would have had a better understanding of it than the general population today. But the question still at hand is How do I get eternal life? How can I live forever? Um, and Jesus' response to that question is this, what is written and how do you understand what you have read? So what he says to him, what is written in the law? So this lawyer, he's a religious man, he would have been raised a good Jewish boy, he understood the law, he was steeped in the law. So Jesus goes back and said, well, from your studies, from the being who you are, what do you think gains you eternal life? And he says, well, I need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and strength, and I should love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, great, you've read it correctly. Doesn't mean that he was doing it right. He had read it correctly. He knew what, the, in essence, the truth was. But the story goes on to say that that practice might not have been happening in his life. So he had the head knowledge, he could quote it, but it, was, it wasn't being lived out in his life. You see, it's really important to see that obedience to God's word is vital to kingdom life. As Jesus said to him, you understood the law, it's an Old Testament thing, you understood this law, go and do it. In the New Testament, when he gives his great body of teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the great, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end he says, you go put this into practice. And then you're a wise person. And then you'll see life. And then you'll see fruitfulness. And you'll see growth. And you'll, you'll stand. And you won't stumble. You won't fall if you take the things and put them into practice. So obedience to the things of Jesus is really, really important. That's why every... Sunday, every home group, every opportunity I get, Brian gets, we all get. is just to drip feed this idea that God is here. God is alive. God is growing us. God is teaching. God has means. God has ways. God has practices. Let's participate. Let's practice. Let's engage so that slowly, little by little, we move forward. In the Old Testament, little by little, they took the land. Wherever they put their foot, they took the land. There's a sense of movement, little by little. And so we want to continually just drip feed that. This is what the kingdom's like. This is what the kingdom's like. This is what the kingdom's like. This is what Jesus' life looks like. Little by little, and we start to embrace that. (coughs) I think a human condition, part of the human condition, is when something gets pointed out in our life, we try to justify our position and try to wheedle our way out of it. I think that's just the way it is. Um, I've been following a story in South Africa this weekend. How many of you even know what cricket is? Okay, cricket is a sport. It's a great sport that some great countries play. There are more people that play cricket than play baseball. But anyway, so cricket. So South Africa are playing Australia at the moment in what they call tests. And there's always been a needle between Australia and South Africa at cricket. They ever go at each other. They sledge, which means they, you know, they shout at each other. They try and push the boundaries, whatever. So on the third, it's a, you know, cricket's over five days that can end in a tie. So Americans don't get it. But anyway, on the third day, there's TV cameras everywhere. They noticed one of the Australian fielders takes the ball and he takes a piece of tape, something out of his pocket, and starts rubbing it on the ball which is illegal because he's trying to add, add something that will make the ball do different things in the air, and it's totally legal. And he gets caught because they start showing it on the jumbotron. You know? And so it comes to their attention, and while you know, the umpires go, he takes it, and it's all on video, and he puts it down the front of his pants into his underpants, this little piece of tape. And um, so the umpires come to him, and then he takes it out of his pocket you know, a thing to clean glasses. You see, you see, he got, high, he got caught, and then he had to justify himself and wheedle himself. That's what we do. Now, we look at him, we say, what a stupid idiot. But we all do it in some form. So eventually they acknowledge, off the field, they acknowledge that they try to do it. The captain says, we actually planned this before the day began. It has become such an incident that the Australian prime minister is involved. It's huge, it's massive. All right. When we get caught out, when the finger gets pointed and we get highlighted, we we like to take the spotlight off ourselves and say, but what about that? Or what about this? Just own up. Just say, if he had said, you know, that Jesus is so true, I just have not been living that way at all. Will you help me? I'm sure Jesus' compassion, kindness would have just embraced him and just whoa, because that's what Jesus did, didn't? But he tried to justify himself. No, 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 who's my neighbor? Be very careful that we don't live like that. Because Jesus will always have the last word. You're never going to out-debate Jesus. You're never going to ask him a question that he can't answer. Right? So just remember that. Um, so in the question, who proved to be the neighbor in the story? Who proved to be the neighbor? the Samaritan. By inference, the other two guys, the Levite and the and the, and the priest, they were part of the Jewish people. So the, his own people abandoned him, and a foreigner helped him. Who's the neighbor? And the poor lawyer's just thinking, oh, why on earth did I ask that question? But there are two important words that come out of this um, thing. One is the word compassion, and I want to come back to that a little bit. Do you know what compassion is? Where the word compassion, the word compassion comes from the word meaning the innards. So when you have compassion for someone, you feel it in your liver. I mean, it means the bowels, the liver. It means the internal testament. When you have compassion, you feel something deeply. We'll come back to that. The other one is this idea of mercy. Mercy, you know, not getting what you do deserve. It's an important. Understanding as we look at what does it mean to love your neighbor, who's our neighbor, is this idea of mercy. That Jesus calls us into a life that flows with grace and mercy. Not giving the people the things they deserve and extending God's love. And sometimes giving them things they don't deserve. That's the way that loving your neighbor works and it's really hard. And I think our country right now needs to hear a talk like this. And I'm sure people are giving this sort of talk everywhere. Let's give some thoughts on this, just as a general thought from this text. I don't know about you, but but barring my neighbors to my immediate south, it's really hard to love your neighbor the way Jesus wants you to love your neighbor. It's really hard. It's not an easy thing. It's much more easy to retreat into your home Arrive home, automatically the, the doors of the garage go up, you drive in, the doors go closed, and you just block yourself off from the rest of the world. Because you can feel safe. There's no demand on your time. N- it's, it's hard to love your neighbor. Just as it's hard to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's really Really hard. It kind of just exhausts us. Whenever you hear that, oh, you love my neighbour, I just feel oh, I'm exhausted. I haven't even got out of bed yet, you know. Um, and then you think there's just so many people to love. You know, if, if we could go back 200 years and I could live in my little village, I knew those other six families. We kind of knew each other. We could get on with it. We could love our neighbour. It was easy. Now it's really hard. There are millions of people. I mean, just in my block, there are. Thousands in that area. Oh, it's so hard. It's, it's like, I don't even want to think about it. Yet somehow, the Spirit of God keeps pressing an essential truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves in the light of our, our love for God. You see, when you read this, the text from Leviticus, which Heidi read, let me read this, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall no- love your neighbor as yourself. So way back there, this is this build up to this understanding you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just love your neighbor. It's love your neighbor the way that you would want it to be loved by the neighbor. And then there's this silly lines that keep coming into this text. I am the Lord. It's like, can't you leave that bit out? Can't just be something else. But I am the Lord. It's like it's rooted in this understanding of who God is. Because who God is, because of the way God has dealt with us. In the Old Testament, it says, I am the one who brought you out of captivity. Therefore, you do this. I am the one who brought you from the, I translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my son whom I love. Therefore love your neighbor as yourself. It is, it's always as a response to what Jesus has done or God has done for us. And if we're going to love our neighbor, according to that test, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people. I think it's, if we're going to love our neighbors, let's say the, the Thornburgs and us say we're going to love the neighbors around our, in our square the first thing that we're going to have to deal with before we can even love them is actually deal, do we have any malice towards those people? Do we have any anger towards those people? Do we have any phobias towards those people? Or do, are we discriminating in any way towards those people? Because they could be from different cultures, different languages, different colors, different everything. And before we can even engage on loving our neighbor, we have to deal with our own hearts because I am the Lord, says God. There's no room in our hearts for those things if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, again, none of us is perfect. It's a journey. But we begin to see that. So suddenly I was up at 3.30 this morning doing some of this. And I suddenly thought, hmm, my neighbors to the north drive me insane. I hold prejudice toward them in some way. They irritate me. Even though I've invited them to Thanksgiving before. They irritate me. No, if I'm going to be a loving neighbor to them, and I'm not, maybe I'm not, maybe they're not going to be the neighbor I love. The neighbor I love. I'll get to that now. But if I, I'm going to have to deal with prejudice, because they will pick that up, at least sometime. I could pretend for a little time, but eventually that will seep out of me. And God is saying, "I've loved you." This is love not that you love, but I have loved you first. Now, therefore, deal with these things so that you can love these people the way I want you to love them. Really scary. You see, you can't, if you're going to do the, the great commandment, you, you can't try to do that without dealing with your own life. Um, when, you, when you try to do good, I feel like I, had, I want one of those marks now. I feel like walking. If you just want to do good without the idea of love or dealing with your own heart, then you get into a false form of justice. I'm doing justice. I'm bringing food to the poor, or I'm doing this. But if there's no love in your heart and you haven't dealt with your own malice or your own prejudice, it's just justice apart from God which actually gets mangled up and eventually dies as some sort of awkward good works. I'm talking about the people of God. We're not, we mustn't stop anybody doing good works. But for us, God wants whatever we do to be done in love. Love your neighbor, how? Huh? As yourself. So you've got to deal with yourself. You can't just love your neighbor. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. So many, many years ago, a man by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz, who was a pastor in South America, I'm talking about the 60s, 70s, God told him to preach a message to his church. He had multiple thousands, and he got up on Sunday, and he said, this is what God has told me to say, love your neighbor. He sat down. The Next week, he got up, love your neighbor. He sat down. Third week, he got up, love your neighbor. He sat down. Three months, four months, love your neighbor. I think the people started getting the message. They either left, or they started oh, maybe God's trying to tell us something here. And then God said, I release you. New message. Love your neighbor as yourself. Next week, love your neighbor as yourself. And then God said to him, you know the lady that cleans your house? I want you to build her a house like the house that you live in. You know, he was a big Pentecostal preacher. He had a decent house, so he built his house cleaning lady a house just like his house because he that was it wasn't saying everyone had to do that but that was the challenge to God to demonstrate something to the people love your neighbor as yourself things began to happen in his church um see love makes justice what it's meant to be otherwise just sort of random good works which we don't want to despise in any way We love it when people are doing kind things to people. But as the church, there's something else. Because not only are we just doing good works toward a person, we are representing the God of the universe to those people. And it's really important for us to see that. So in this text in verse 34 of Leviticus, I'm going there quickly. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. So in this text God is saying to the people even the stranger is your neighbor. Stranger, someone maybe not like you. In this story of the Samaritan, is Samaritan and a Jew, they are different but they were neighbors. Why? Because the way the Samaritan through compassion dealt with this man that had been robbed and beaten and broken. Ultimately love of neighbor is based on sameness, not diversity. And the sameness is that we are all human. Our love of neighbor is based on the fact that everybody is human, created in the image of God, and therefore worthy of respect and kindness and mercy and grace, etc., etc., We love a person on that basis, not because they're just different from us and, oh, I better feel good about myself. Let me go, you know, go to that part of LA and love those people. They're not like me. No, no, no. We just love everybody wherever we can because they're the same as us. They are human. They just represent another part of God's beautiful creativity because they speak a different language. They're a different color. They eat different. They dress different. It's just an expression of, of creativity. But they're human. Created in the image of God. And so when the Samaritans come in and he has compassion, the text doesn't give us the full unpacking of that, but the rest of the Bible gives us this text of, no, he has a broken human in need of help. Let me help. Go onto YouTube and go look at things where people are being attacked by others. I mean, in places women are being raped, all sorts of things, and nobody does a thing. Everyone watches. Because no one wants to get involved. We are the people of God. We are involved. So, what is love? You can love your neighbor. What is love? Do you think that's a good question? Do you think we could have asked Jesus that question? I wonder what his response back to us would have been. What is love? This is a Dallas Willard definition of love. I love it. Because we talk about agape love, which is the word, the sacrificial, unconditional. It's, it's a, like, he says, love is the intention to, go, to do good towards someone and then act. So it's really simple. Now, I'm, I'm sure the word agape is much larger in its understanding. But to love someone is the intention to do good towards someone and then act upon it. But we so have abused the word love. So, someone used an illustration once, which I love. I'm, I've remembered it. I love this chocolate cake. I wish I'd bought a cupcake. I love cupcakes. Do you remember that, Nancy? <laughs> There's a story that goes back years about me saying, I love cupcakes. I love cupcakes. I love cupcakes as I love myself because if I'm going to take the word love, so what am I going to do with this cupcake? I'm going to protect it. I'm going to shine it, keep it. No, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm just going to eat the cupcake. I don't love the cupcake like I'm meant to love my neighbor. Does that make sense? But we use love so as in I love cupcakes. I love my wife. I love my neighbor. I love that movie. Sometimes we've, we love the movie more than we loved our neighbor in terms of the passion that we speak about it I love black panther no but I love my neighbor more because it actually causes me to have to do something black panther created an emotion in me oh, it was inter- whatever but the love that God wants me for my neighbor is something I have to act upon an intention to do good I love the black panther I don't have to do anything good toward the black panther just go watch it and pay money. But when I say I'm going to love Tyler, my intention is to do him good and then act upon it. We're called to love our neighbors. And there's a difference between love of self and selfishness. I think we have to see that. When you're when you called to love your neighbor as yourself, you're actually saying, I want good done to me. I want to do good to myself. I want to look after my body and my mind and my heart. I want to do good to myself. I love myself. God loves me in my imperfection. There's a love. It's not this. For, who was the guy that looked in the pond and then fell in? Narcissus. Narcissus that guy. We're not talking about that. Selfishness. This, the love that we do it. I want what I want when I want it, how I want it, and I want. Actually, I want it now. That's not love of self. That's selfishness. It's important that when we love our neighbor as ourselves, you're not doing it with you want what you want. No, with a sense of dignity. I'm giving you dignity. I'm honoring who you are. You want what is good, not just what is desired. There are things that I want for my life that are good. There are other things I want for my life just because I want them. They're great desires. Every time a new camera comes out, I want it. Miles knows nothing about that one. Hey, Miles. No. When it, I want it because my flesh wants it. It's got nothing to do with doing me good. Are we all right? I might be going a bit long. I'm sorry. So in the understanding of this Samaritan, he comes along and he looks at this man and he has compassion. He felt it in the very depths of his being. Because his action to love the neighbor flowed from this attitude, from this understanding deep inside of him that rose up. And the life of God in us causes us to feel compassion and love to rise up and we act upon it. And it's really important for us to see that. So it means that love of neighbor flows out of first love of God. Because when you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and we know we're on a continuum and on a journey, nobody's got it perfect. But when that's our attitude, then God is respondingly putting stuff into our hearts so that we can love our neighbors, and we will start to feel things for people in a way that we don't feel in the natural, a deep, deep compassion. I think God wants to do that, and we we want to ask the Lord to grow us in that so that we can love our neighbors. How many people in LA, the greater LA? 20 million? 17 million? Call me a liar for three million. There's 17 million people that need to be loved. A lot of them are lonely. A lot of them are afraid. A lot of them are poor. A lot of them are broken. A lot of them have had dreams shattered. A lot of them are from broken marriages. There's some that are doing well. But a vast majority are not doing that well. We need to love our neighbors. I'll come back to that in a moment, just in case you feel overwhelmed by 17 million. Decide who your neighbor is and decide to whom you will be a neighbor. I don't think we can start with 17 million. Who... Do you want to be a neighbor too? Just start with one or two, and say, "I'm going to, over time. I'm going to try to be a neighbor to that person." Who's the neighbor that God is showing me? Who is my neighbor? It's an important thing for us to see. And if you only love the neighbors that are exactly like you, that talk like you, eat like you, like the same movies, do. We're missing something of the beauty of the creativity of God. God wants us to love our neighbor in different places. And and we live in a city that is so diverse, so beautiful. If you try and do that, just out of, I'm going to love my neighbor, without a sense of compassion, you'll just die, tried legalism. You're not God. In my spiritual practices, in my time with you, give me a love for people. Give me a compassion for the city. Let me somehow feel something, a little bit of the heart of Jesus who looked at the city and said, this is a city without a shepherd. And, and weep, then I can love my neighbor. It comes out of deep compassion. The church should actually should be a witness to that. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in John, said, this is how people will know, how the world will know you are my disciples. How? By the love that you have for one another. We can't separate the call of God to love neighbors and go into our world from the fact that God has called us to be community and to love one another, which is a witness to what the love of neighbor should really look like. And so, you know, I want to love Joe, but at the same time I'm just fighting with Je- with Dan and people look and they say, love, look at, no, we've got to have this is how they will know, by the love you have for one another. This intention to do good towards one another and to act upon it. What's a witness? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts eight, and you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? What does a witness mean? In the jury, in your witness or whatever. What's a witness? Sorry? One who testifies about what? Something you've seen or you've experienced and you've remembered and that you can articulate back. It's not just someone who testifies because you could testify an untruth. A witness is someone who has knowledge of something that they've experienced, that they've seen they have this knowledge. They've remembered it. It's part of them, and they can now give it back. So Jesus is saying, you will receive power in the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? What they have seen, what they have heard, the resurrected Jesus, the death, the resur- whatever. They, they are witnesses because they saw it. They wrote it down. They were able to articulate it to other people. And so when we love one another in the way that God wants us to love one another within his own body, we are a witness. We can testify to what has actually happened, to what we have experienced, that people truly, truly have the intent to do good to one another, and they act upon it, and then we can go to the world and say, we are witnesses that that sort of life exists. Because none of us were there when Jesus came out of the tomb. Is it? Anyone there? No. There were a bunch and they've long gone. But we are witnesses to the resurrection by the Spirit in the way that life, resurrected life, is lived out among God's people. We are witnesses to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. By the Spirit in community, we witness. You want to know what love is like? Come and look at the church If you said that today to the world, come and look at the church, they would give you the middle finger. What are you talking about? That's the worst group of people that ever walked the face of the earth. Can we start our little band Say we want to do good to one another? Not so that we become inward. Not so that we can, oh, we love each other. Mm, So good. So that we can be a witness To the world, we can show you what love is like. That we go the extra mile for one another. There's not one person here who has need because everyone steps to the plate. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters. It's not about us. It's about out there. That text that we read from Leviticus is when you, you know, glean your fields, don't take everything. Leave some. Is there space in your life, in your budget? To actually help and love with intent someone who needs loving so that we can be witnesses. It's the life of God. It's the life that God wants to raise in us. You can't force anybody to do anything. It's just that sense of God's life in us. I'm nearly finished. It's also very easier to love your neighbor in Africa than it is here because they're far away. They can't really see how you live and you go on your three-week mission trip, oh, aren't we so good? We dug a well of water. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's bad, but loving your neighbor next door is a lot harder. Having the Thornburgs move next door made life interesting, because you've got to be careful how you speak, because the walls are thin. They are. You've got to do it. Yesterday, Tyler's cleaning the garage and he starts playing a Travelling Wildberries song, one of my favorites. And I text him, I say, oh, I love this song. And he's saying, oh, is my music too loud? Because the walls are thin. So suddenly having someone you know immediately next to you changes the dynamic. You've got to think, oh, I've got to do this person good. Therefore, I need to make sure what I do in my home is good. Being a neighbor is hard. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you service. It's going to cost you inconvenience, it's going to cost you money, it's going to cost you prayer, it's going to be messy, the people are going to hurt you, Why wada wada. water. If you did it just because you wanted to do it without an understanding of the love of God for you, you will, you will fail. Or you'll grow weary, or you'll give up. But if you see it as an outflow of the fact that God loved us first in our messiness and never gave up. That becomes the basis for us to love our neighbour. You will never feel adequate enough. If you feel adequate, you're not loving your neighbour as yourself. You you giving titbits. You will never feel adequate. That's why we need one another. When we gather, it's like oh, you can do it. Let be strong and courageous. We can do this. We can do this. We're gonna fight. That's okay. Come back. We can do this. Little by little, we can do this. So start small. Right? Choose one or two people. Choose someone in the church and someone out the church or whatever and say, I'm going to start loving this person as myself. And don't make a big deal about it. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Instagram. Don't Twitter it or tweet it, whatever the word is. You know, What's a new one? Make videos for Marco Polo about it or whatever. Oh, I know something you don't know. That Marco Polo, I have no idea, I just learned it. There's a sense of we want everyone to know what we're doing. Just be God's people. Just love. If you're going to love someone, love them. It doesn't matter if anybody sees, God sees. Be honest with God, with yourself, and with community and say it's hard and I'm struggling. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Do something. And in all of that, if you seek God and you seek with all your heart, guess what? What does the scripture say? He will be found. And in that finding, you will experience something that enables you to go out and love someone else. Father, may we know and experience feel the love that you have for us. May it be tangible to us. May it be the foundation to the way that we love ourselves, to the way that we love our spouses, to the way that we love our children, to the way that we love one another in your community, to the way that we love our neighbors, to the way that we love our enemies. the way we engage with those that we don't like to engage with. But you lead us there by your spirit. Help us to grow in the love and understanding of the love that you have for us. A love that is so high so deep, so long so wide we can never grasp it. Thank you Jesus that you are patient with us. You nudge us forward. You keep nudging us forward, but you are patient. We thank you for that.